0: It's Testazopod back after a nice little week break. Uh, What has been going on? Well, I'm just enjoying this nice 60-degree weather in the middle of February. Nothing to be concerned about there. Uh, And reading up on all these wonderful, magnificent train derailments that are happening, spewing uh, toxic waste everywhere. Uh, All in all, doing well, feeling good. How are you? we got a lot of questions to uh, get to, so let's hop there right now. It's the Sazapod. Let's go. First up, I'm going to uh, cover some questions from last week on our top secret Discord. You, of course, can access the Discord by being a member of Patreon.com slash Jesse Five bucks a month is the entry level. Why aren't you doing it? You should be doing it. Please do it. Uh, Rusted Toys has a good question here. What's your favorite in-person reaction from someone who has no idea what Glios or Toy Pizza is when they encounter your toys as merch at a Z Star Seven show or a convention? Excellent question. Firstly, I don't think anybody's bought any merch from us at a Z Star Seven show. Just to uh, we can <laughs> we can uh, take that qualifier off of this list. That phenomenon has yet to happen. Um, I think you need in excess of. I don't know, let's say 10 people attending a show in order to sell a single piece of merch. And, and that's a pretty high conversion rate there. Uh, but at a convention, I would say my favorite reaction that people who are experiencing this stuff for the first time is when they say, is this vintage? Right? When the sort of color of plastic and the shape and the aesthetic of a Knight of the Slice figure makes them think that they have discovered long-lost toy line that was very obscure in the 80s or 90s and I think that is the highest compliment that can be paid to my work. Many of these figures and these characters their legacy goes back to that era you know when I was a kid and an early teen and I was experiencing things like toy biz figures and then of course McFarlane comes on the scene and this huge explosion of toy making happens Like, yeah, I want my stuff to uh, sort of feel like it exists in that liminal zone. And so I think that's the the highest thing, the highest sort of compliment I can get from somebody first encountering this. It's it's that it fries their brain just for a second and they think that this is from a different era. And uh, so that's kind of, um, you know, I think what I strive for in terms of a, a reaction from new people. Next up from Robot Assassin. Of your family and friends that are familiar with Knights of the Slice, what are their favorite Knight of the Slice figures slash characters? Who did they praise the most? Are there any they absolutely detest? Are there any physical figures or story characters that made uh, made from their requests slash suggestions? Um, I would say Knights of the Slice is largely um, embraced by my family with complete indifference. Um, I don't think a gun to their head, any of them could name a single character or point one out of a lineup. Um, But I think generally that is people's reaction to art. Uh, I don't necessarily take it personal, uh, but I do think, especially in this modern era, it is really hard to get people engaged or caring about the creative output of anybody. Uh, You know, largely because we are sort of all dealing with Constant, seemingly constant existential crises and what's in front of us and living paycheck to paycheck and things like that. So uh, I can't fault them for that, but my family is largely disinterested. Um, the exception to this is, of course, Z Star 7, which my youngest sister sent me a text last week and said she absolutely loves the album and she's been listening to it nonstop. And that is probably the singular moment in my entire creative career where anybody in my family uh, reached out to uh, follow up and sort of share their, their uh, thoughts on anything I'd put out into the world. Um, so that was very nice. As far as my friend group goes, largely, again, met with indifference. Um, now, and my, lar- my, my friend group has a lot of people that actively collect toys and a lot of friends that actively design toys and work at toy companies and things like that. Um, largely, complete flatline. Don't don't get much feedback from them. The notable exceptions are, of course, Bobby and Josh, my childhood friends, and Brendan from Z Star Seven. Brendan is probably uh, the most enthusiastic person uh, when it comes to my creative output, and I really appreciate that. And I I I think he's actually being genuine. I don't think he's phoning it in. I don't think he's blowing smoke up my ass. I think he genuinely likes this stuff. Um, so. I think that the takeaway here for people that are aspiring artists or performers or people that, you know, are already doing that, um, largely people will not care. You know, I think the only solace I take is that I will be greatly appreciated after I've exited this planet. And I think that that is probably the most ideal sort of setting you can hope for. And once you accept that people are indifferent to your work, It frees you to do whatever the hell you want, and you don't have anybody that uh, you are designing things for, or trying to market to, or trying to placate. You can be free to make as much bad art as you want, because at the end of the day, it's going to be largely ignored and forgotten. Next up, from Gordon McKinnon-Hall. Do you think papercraft might be a solution for a night of the slice vehicle slash robot slash playset, since 3D printer access is still somewhat limited? I know there's a software called Pepakura that lets you unfold low-poly 3D models. Um, You know, I would would put the question back to everybody else. What is a papercraft playset that they like and use and haven't been disappointed by? Um, because for me personally, anytime I've gone down that path, these are pretty shitty products that don't fit together well or don't last very long. Um, so if I thought that that solution actually, uh, was something desirable to myself and something that would endure and last and actually work as designed, um, it would definitely be something that would already exist. But because anytime I've encountered these things, they are either unwielding or, like I said, just don't stay together, Um, it is something that I've completely avoided altogether. I was also thinking uh, just randomly about magnets as articulation, right? Most famously, you know, you got your your, um, Force Commander and your Baron Karza from Micronauts that use that technique. and uh, It is used a lot in resin toy making and I think that's a, a perfect application for magnets. But you do not really see magnets as a articulation solution in mass produced toys. Now of course there are some smaller, I think morpho Morphonauts utilize them. Uh, but you don't really see them used all that often. Uh, certainly not by the majors. And the reason is, again, this is like a, it's a concept that sounds good and feels interesting, but the actual application of it is pretty lacking. Um, you know, we looked at magnetic limbs for Mega Man way back in Jazz Wars days. And, uh, the problem, <laughs> there's a multitude of problems, but also you can get the wrong polarity during production on magnets. And then you have limbs that won't fit in a torso. In fact, they're repulsed by it, and, um, you know, it's very easy to kind of fuck up the production of those things. So I think just myself not having a very good example of when that's been done right uh, has prevented me from going down that rabbit hole. Now, granted, I I think uh, Mezco or Super 7 made a haunted house that is a cardboard paper craft for their, one of, you know, whichever company it was, their three and three quarter inch line Um, but I have not sort of seen that in person, uh, and can't sort of assess how viable that is. I do have, uh, two rather big, um, sort of cardboard playsets, although they are augmented with plastic parts, so this is probably not relevant. But from the Metalder line, um, of the sort of mask scale figures, I have both those playsets, um... And, oh, sorry, three. Actually, there's three of them. Uh, And again, like, the plastic parts work well enough. The cardboard parts, not so much. So I'm just not sure the juice is worth the squeeze in this case. I'm going to skip ahead to another question here that I think is relevant to what we just talked about from Mike Went went Bad from It Went Bad. Uh, Have you ever thought about designing decal sheets specifically to fit certain panels slash parts of your figures and selling them? And then uh, Eric chimes in, yes, among other things, I need a big Russian decal for Cross Skull's shirt to make his allegiances stand out a bit more. And Daniel says, I want racing decals for zoner capsules. Um, yes, this has all been, uh, this was all a very early plan of mine, specifically for zoner capsules, and it just didn't work. Um, again, I would point to, I, I would put this on people to say, where have stickers worked really well in a figure and in execution? Likely on vehicles, for sure, because there's tons of flat surfaces, and those areas can be sort of raised or recessed to hold the sticker in a very good fashion. But even so, even on a vehicle where it's designed for stickers, inevitably there's peeling that happens, there is, you know, degradation of the sticker itself, can't take it in water, etc., cetera, etc., cetera specifically on figures, it becomes even tougher because, again, you need very, very flat, perfectly 90-degree angle surfaces in order to get the best adherence. Um, And I would, once again, point to the audience and ask, where has that worked on a figure? You know, I think famously of uh, the sumo character from TMNT, uh, Tattoo, I think his name is. Um, You know, we've all come across him at a yard sale with those stickers sort of dangling there, covered in dirt and hair, and, you know, very unappealing uh, sort of uh, figure once you get a couple years under your belt. So this is absolutely a path I've gone down in both cases. Tried to design stickers for figures, tried to design stickers for the zoner capsules, and in both cases, I was very unhappy with the results. Part of the reason is um, sticker production at a micro scale is not so easy to do stateside. There are plenty of operations overseas that I could have outsourced this to, but given that I only needed probably less than 100, um, you know, a stateside micro scale sticker printer has been elusive to me. I even reached out to the folks at Toy Hacks and um, wanted to hire them to do a sticker sheet for me. For those who don't know, Toy Hacks issue. Uh, sort of upgrade sticker sheets and replacement repo sticker sheets for Transformers, and It's a great product like it really does make your figure uh, It it brings something completely different to the to the figure Um, But they were not willing to be hired for any work and they would not disclose where their stickers were printed and so anytime I tested this out the scale was off and they also it just didn't work it, it didn't look right and the stickers sort of inevitably kind of peeled off so again I got to a point where I had sunk a bunch of time and a little bit of money into exploring this idea and just the results were not there they, they were not what I had hoped to be uh, that coupled with the declining sales or really the sales that never manifested in a meaningful way for the capsule product uh, it was just something that got abandoned and, and tossed aside. So, um, it's certainly something I would have liked to have see happen, but it did not, and uh, I think ultimately I'm okay with that. Speaking of Brendan from Z Star, he's got a good question here. You must think often about your various characters and storylines. I'm curious why they don't seem to show up in your lyrics. Is avoiding Night of the Slice a rule for your lyrics? Um, I, I think... There's two points here, and they are kind of in direct contradiction to each other, but let me just lay it out there and see if it starts to make sense. Um, One, I would say that my lyrical output is no different from my toy design output, from my comic book output, from my writing output. It is all the same universe in that it all comes from my brain. And to me, these things are all interconnected and you cannot separate one from the other. So while there may not be sort of explicit name drops of Rex Gannon or things like that, there are songs that are very much about the same kind of essence, the same archetypes of Rex Gannon or other characters, situations, settings, things like that. Now famously, there are a few songs that sort of explicitly break that barrier. Uh, Argentavis, you know, that was concocted... Uh, on the release of Chromega, Uh Theme from Harbor Noir, one of the very first songs I ever recorded, um, which was recorded probably one track, played live. You can hear me sort of tapping on the foot pedals. If you scroll all the way to the bottom of uh, my SoundCloud, I think it's the second song that's down there. Um, so there is sort of the rare occasion where it is explicitly called out, But um, to me, these all exist in the same, on the sort of same vibe, on the same creative unconsciousness plateau, if that makes sense. Now, the other factor here is that uh, I have the type of brain and workflow where I will work on something until I'm sick of it, and then I will hop to a different pursuit. So if I have been sitting in front of a spreadsheet adding up all the costs of the next production wave that I'm going into, and the timing of that, and the calendar for the releases, at a certain point I'm going to say, fuck this, I'm going to close my laptop, I'm going to go out to the workshop, and I'm going to fulfill orders, or I'm going to build some customs, or I'm going to paint some hand-painted Knights of the Slice, I'm going to switch up completely, and do something tactile, and, you know, uh, get as far away from that previous activity as I can. And then when I'm sick of that, and I'm sick of Nights of the Slice, and my sales haven't been going well, and people are annoying me online, I shut it all down, and I go and I do music. And these things are sort of like decompression chambers from the previous experience. So a lot of the time when I step into the music studio, the last thing I want to think about is Nights of the Slice, because I probably have spent all day long working on various projects and toy designs and things like that. I've sort of expended my energy in that category and in that activity, and then I want to sort of have a clean break away from that. And music is is a great way for me to do so. I guess my final point is, um, you know, I think it can be kind of lame to just have a band or have songs that are about toys and action figures, right? I don't think there's any... There's nothing to discover there. That's like KISS. That's like having a gimmick that is easy to understand and never is anything else. In all of my pursuits and all of my creative output, I like a little mystery. I like there to be things to be misunderstood or decoded. Um, A few weeks back, I released a song called About Calypso. uh, Sorry, Callisto. And that didn't mean anything to anybody. There was no context clues that that was the harbinger of what would be the action figure of the month January and February. Uh, So, by not sort of explicitly making music about figures, it allows me to do stuff like that because uh, nobody is anticipating it or looking for it. And frankly, I'm not uh, premeditating these things. They are happening sort of naturally. But in any case, I think it's a great question. I do think that Probably subconsciously, I'm avoiding making too much of the music output about the toy-making output because it is a sort of counterbalance to it. Uh, But I also don't explicitly, you know, I I let these things permeate naturally and organically where they will. Next question from Matt Connolly, who has broken the rules and asked two questions this week but I I will allow it I will allow it Uh, with so many Night of the Slice body styles now in play do you think you would ever run a single pre-order set with all of the styles in a cool painted colorway edition sort of a master set Uh, Eric chimes in below this and says from what I take from listening to the pod that it would put a huge block on the production queue hindering all other figures and most importantly ones he wants to make in order to move the story along uh, Eric is partially correct here, I think that's, uh, I have stated such before, but I think there are bigger challenges to doing a sort of master set, uh, there, numerous ones in fact. Uh, one is that, uh, as Eric kind of alluded to, that stops in, in its tracks my production schedule. I would have to block out an entire production run, possibly two, in order to run every single tool in one single style and uh, have the sort of deco match or be cohesive throughout the whole thing. So, you know, I'm doing, boy, let's see here, probably between four and six different productions a year. And uh, if I wanna continue that for the the current pace of releases and action figure, the Millennia Club figures, uh, I would have to lose an entire production cycle in order to do a master set. Um, so that's tough already because I have a certain velocity and a certain amount of product I need to keep feeding into uh, the, the schedule that we're on. The other thing is uh, price point. So that would probably be in excess of $250 for a set. Um, the current uh, average of a customer transaction on my website is about $60. And that is probably a ceiling for the majority of people. Now, if my cart average was something like $500, then a $250 item being in store would be less of a concern because the majority of people are spending twice as much, therefore I could count on people picking up more than one set, and uh, you know the sort of data would say, okay, that's a good move. But given that the average cart is significantly less than this set would cost, That means only a small fraction of my audience is going to purchase one, and very little of them are going to purchase two. Multiple purchases are really quite crucial to your e-commerce strategy. Identifying the small fan base that will buy more than one of something is incredibly crucial in terms of planning your production numbers and also just your general overall gross. Um, So in a case like this, a very high-end item with a high ticket price, there's going to be very little multiple purchases Very few people coming back to the well afterwards to re-up. The other thing working against this is I have historical data about how a set like this performs. As many people will remember, we did a color change set of nearly every Night of the size figure at the time. There were a few omissions. Um, But that set sold pretty poorly. And I think part of that logic is, you know, if I put out... Like, okay, let's let's take this year so far. Not everybody liked Chameleon Lime, not everybody liked the Crokin. not everybody liked Bumblejet 2, but most people bought at least some of those figures, right? There was there were people that certainly bought all of them, but there were people that maybe didn't care for one or two of the bundled figures and went and bought the ones they cared for. If you have an entire set that all look the same, uh there are going to be very few people that want every single style in that color scheme. That color scheme is only going to appeal to a majority, uh, sorry, a minority of your audience. And I saw this play out firsthand with that color change set. Uh, I think we sold out very, very quickly of the. Let's see here. I think the Device Ninja did really well, and the Vector Jump, but the other characters kind of languished there to the to the extent that i had to deeply discount those color change figures and it really turned me off from doing a sort of cohesive theme set in the future that was a a really you know that was a pretty abysmal experience so i would never say never to this idea but i would say that strategically we need a couple things in order to be able to do that one we would have we would need the shopping cart average to be about double whatever the msrp is going to be of a full set and I think in order to do that we need probably tens of uh, ten thousand more customers than we already have um, so I think the likelihood of that is is pretty low but um, you know in a perfect world it might be something nice to see second question from Matt Connolly: have you ever frozen one of your night of the slice figures and then watched it thaw and refreeze all winter Um, I've not done that outside, but I definitely, ever since I had a Han Solo figure as a kid, I have been freezing figures in blocks of ice in the freezer. I think pretty much all of us have done that. Uh, Captain America, the the early toy biz Captain America, was also one that I loved to do that with and kind of mimic, uh, you know, his origin story in the comics. Next up from Eric Valverde. uh, When the time comes that you stop making Night of the Slice, how do you think that will play out? As in, do you think it will happen one day with no pre-planning and no more orders getting put in? Or do you want something grand and, ha- and hallmarked to the moment, like putting out a uniform colorway or a grand homage to some beloved franchise? Basically, have you thought about this moment and do you want to put a bow on it or will it be a cliffhanger cut midstream? Uh, I mean, you know, I-, I think practically there's no way to predict how the end of Nuts to the Slice comes about. Uh, You know, your guess is as good as mine. I think there are scenarios where, you know, a Disney-type entity cuts a check and then I, you know, I dutifully turn it over and uh, retire to Bermuda. Um, But more likely, much more likely, I think, uh, you know, tensions may rise between China and the U.S., as they seem to continue to do, uh, to the point where small businesses are not allowed to manufacture goods in China. I could see there being an embargo like that. Now, even if that happens, big businesses are still going to be allowed to conduct business in China. They're going to have workarounds and loopholes. They may just simply assign a, uh, you know, subsidiary within China that allows for there to still be manufacturing. Uh, But I could see a scenario where politically uh, people my size would be prevented For manufacturing in that continent or in other places where the factories are owned by china which would be india philippines places like that um so that that is a very materially real scenario that could come to pass in the near future depending on how much these two countries are sort of politically uh benefiting off of a you know a cold war but if it all does come screeching to a halt i don't know that i'm going to have the ability ...or the opportunity or the time to plan out some grand gesture. Uh, In many regards, uh, myself and and Matt Dowdy are approaching Goss as a grand gesture... ...as if we're never going to be allowed to make toys again. That's why it's an incredibly big, ambitious project that we're taking our time on... ...and that, frankly, we're just swinging for the fences. We're doing the best uh, and biggest things that we can with the project. Um... In many regards, the Goss is a reaction to the pandemic and the lockdown and, you know, seeing in front of us what it looks like in a world where we cannot manufacture in the same capacity. You know, he's a very real reaction to that reality. Now, for a lot of makers, that's going to mean they, you know, when they're faced with this impending doom, this existential crisis they're going to just not spend their money there. They're gonna make less, they're gonna take less risks and and maybe just be more of a weekender in terms of a toy maker. Uh, for me, I go the opposite direction. I say, okay, this is our last opportunity to do something great. I wanna add as much articulation as we can. I wanna have the four horsemen involved. I want this thing to be an incredibly ambitious thing. And if it never even reaches the end customer, I will know at least that i expelled my life energy into making the best figure that i could while i still had the ability to and in many ways you know goss is that swan song now whether or not uh it is in fact my last figure i don't think it is i think we will still be you know pushing the boulder up the hill for quite some time uh that is 100 percent how we approach it that is the mindset we entered into this with So uh, in many regards, if in fact, however unlikely, Gauss is the last figure I ever make, the last product I ever ship, I will be completely happy with my effort in the toy making world. Next question from Brett Barnickel: What are the odds of more Kin-style Franken-slices in the the future? I absolutely adore Crow but missed him on this initial run. Hope you're doing well, thank you. Hope the same for you. The truth is, I I do actually have some more Crokin. I have a couple more sets, very few, of the Sawtooth two-pack. And I have a bunch of stuff I want to put into the uh, Patreon store, the secret store. So, uh, keep your eyes peeled. The problem with Crokin is it takes a long time to separate and build Crokins. And at a certain point, I was just tired of doing it. And so I turned off that skew. Uh, I do have a few more of him, and I do have other plans for additional kin style figures, absolutely. Um, You know, I think that the figure was very difficult to photograph and get people a good feeling of how it is in hand. And I think now that more people have have gotten the figure and done poses and builds with it, it, you start to see how charming it is. It is a figure that really, like, ensorcelled me when I built it. And I don't think the photographs were able to communicate that at all. Um, also, if people would like to see more Kin style Franken-slices, please post photos of Crokin and do your own Crokin builds and help me sort of communicate to the world how wonderful that special crossover build is. Because I would love to do more of them, but I just don't think enough people have seen or held this build to fully understand it. Okay, now since the last question, uh, I did get a burst of energy and I actually updated the Patreon secret store. So there are Crokins available to patrons. There's also a pretty generous discount on previous club figures from last year. So do me a favor, help me make some space for the big incoming orders and purchase these closeout figures. It will be doing me a huge service and you'll be getting yourself some army builders and some custom fodder. So that's good for everybody. Next question from Charlie Pope. What's Verkill up to? Charlie was also wondering separately, uh, Was am I going to get the NECA War Duke AD&D figure? Um, so uh, I did get the Grimsword NECA figure. I think it's pretty fantastic. Uh, Randy you know, did a great job with these. Uh, obviously, AD&D, huge, huge influence on me as a toy designer one of the lines i really love um, you know i'm lucky enough to have a a complete uh, fortress of fangs uh i have several prototypes of what were at one point unreleased figures but since then randy from NECA has uh blessed us with the lost wave um so yeah i think i will be picking up war duke i do think you know the the seven inch scale is not really my scale and I do think these are beautiful, well-done figures, but they are missing some of their janky charm that the LGN line had. And I'd almost rather see, like, original creations in that older style from the NECA team. Uh, but that's just my personal preference. I- I'm glad this line exists. I will be getting the Strongheart as well in the Zarek. And, uh, you know, I think pretty much any figure they do for from d and um, I'll be picking up. Uh, I think uh, these are so much <laughs> so much better of an experience than, say, the Hasbro D&D figures. I mean, I've been waiting my entire life, like I assume most of you, for animated figures from the D&D cartoon. And uh, the quality control issues that everybody seems to be having across the board really stymies any goodwill that line has, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, generally, I'm on board for it. The uh, bigger question, what is Verkill up to? This is a great question. Uh, When we last saw Verkill, he was sort of punted off of a mountainside by Chromega. Although we have reason to believe he's still been active in the shadows doing his little Spymaster games and things like that. Uh, But I do have an answer to this question. I think likely we're going to get to it this summer. I have some... How do I put this? I, I have let's just say some store releases that will continue the story of Verkill and of Crow Mega. And uh just might happen to alter the course of one of those characters. Um so we will hear from him before the year is out. I think the more general answer to that question, what is Verkill up to? No good. Next up, Ian Amling is chiming in. How far are we? ...from another Design-A-Night contest. I miss those. Hope all is well with you. Thank you. Same to you, my friend. Um, So, you know, Patreon has been up and down, right? I'm pretty transparent about that. Uh, We are in a a good holding pattern now. uh, But we're pretty far off from hitting any milestones where we would have a -A Design-A-Night... For those who are sort of newer to the Patreon or the Experience of the Nights of the Slice, typically when we hit a big milestone on Patreon followers, I open up the design Designer Night Contest. And by popular vote, the fans get to choose what a night getting put into production will be. And uh, we've done, I think, have we done three of them at this point? In any case, we started with the goal of 100 patrons... And uh, we hit that, and we did a Design a Night figure. And then when we got to 200 patrons, we did a two-pack, which the fans got to design. So the follow-up goal to that was 250 patrons, which unfortunately we never hit, and we dipped very far below that. Um, Now, there's any number of reasons for that, but I can tell you that, again, as being part of the Patreon Ambassador Programme, Almost every Patreon creator has seen a enormous dip in patrons. Uh, most of it happening, uh, you know, as we're coming out of lockdown phase in the pandemic, uh, and you know, moving into 2023. Every creator across the board has seen a drop off pretty dramatically. So it's not a problem unique to me and my following. That being said, I would be willing to open up a single figure design a night. Again, uh, because we've sort of regressed, we've dropped down past that 200 goal, um, I would be willing to do another Design Night at 200 patrons. I think we're hovering around 180. Um, Your number of patrons also fluctuates throughout the entire month. It's, It's kind of silly how the accounting works for Patreon, but because people sign up during different times of the month, and people haven't been charged, and people drop in and out... You don't actually know what your total Patreon number is until the month is closed out. So we kind of hover currently around 179, 178, 180. Um, so, you know, I think if we get to 200 patrons, I'd be willing to open up a Designer Night uh, contest again for a single figure. I think those are always fun to do. Um, but uh, I don't know what our... I think we had a goal of... Yeah, okay, now I'm remembering. If we got to 500 patrons, I would tool an entirely new figure. And that would mean we could, like, pick something out of the archives or uh, vote on 2D designs that I've never turned into 3D and just fully fund a brand new figure. But I think the likelihood of this project reaching 500 patrons this year is not very likely. We would need you know a much bigger visibility we would need to sort of be engaged with tens of thousands of people in order to get 200 patrons out of that and i think just speaking honestly this project is pretty underground pretty independent and relatively small although we are able to do pretty great things but uh, i will i'm willing to go on the record for those two milestones if we hit 200 patrons We can open up a Design Night slot and do the voting as we have in the past. And if we hit 500 patrons, I will tool a brand new figure and I will give the patrons a a, a bunch of different options that they can vote on and then we'll we'll figure out which new figure is getting sculpted and and turned around. Um, That being said, I'm perfectly happy to sort of fluctuate and hover around Even if we just have 100 patrons, I'm good. That's all I need in order to keep, uh, you know, the lights on and keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, More than thrilled to be in excess of 175 patrons. Uh, Would be nice to get to 200. But again, we have enough sort of... uh, We have enough unity and we have enough critical mass that I get to make the toys I want to make. And I can sell them and I can meet my minimums with the factory and things like that. So... Um nothing I've said here is a complaint by any stretch. I think we're in pretty good shape. So I will leave it up to the fates if we are to exceed 200 patrons and then again if we are to exceed 500. Oh, I think also one factor that is working against us achieving 200 patrons is that I have closed off the $30 and $50 tiers and those are by far the most popular tiers. But, because of all the production issues that we've been having over the past couple years, I can't make a commitment to a bigger number of patrons at those tiers. I can take in as many $5 patrons uh, as there are in the world, that's no problem. That's, you know, we can uh, onboard those people all day long, but when it comes to sort of gifts and fulfillment and the limitations I'm facing, uh, I don't know when those tiers are going to open back up again, if they are. So, um, you know, it's all food for thought, but uh, wouldn't mind getting a handful of new patrons, but pretty happy with what we have now. And I think this year for me is just about focusing what's in front of me and the success that we, we have achieved, rather than my mind kind of wandering to, how do I grow this? How do I expand this? How do I scale this? I think that's been, um, you know, that's been keeping my mind off of the game in some respects. Before I go, just one quick recommendation of a really fantastic film I saw, which might actually end up being bumped onto my top ten films of all time. It is a French film called Queen Margot, and, uh, God, it is it is fantastic. Extremely horny film, extremely violent and bloody film, but really great. Uh, you know, I talk all the time about the film Elizabeth, um, which was the only VHS cassette I owned in my first apartment. And so I would just put that VHS on and constantly watch that movie on repeat. And I came to love that film. Um, this film has some of the same characters as Elizabeth. It takes place in the same time period. This is clearly a film that inspired the director of Elizabeth. But Elizabeth is a far inferior production than this one. This is... Truly, truly a fantastic film, um, and also if you're into the early modern era, which I've been doing a lot of research on, as it sort of directly inspires the Jagged Age, uh, this is tremendous and fantastic. I, I can't—I I mean, it's just an A plus film. So I would beckon everybody go see it. I believe it's from nineteen ninety four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, really fantastic, worth renting, but you should probably just buy it. It's on Amazon. Go check it out. And uh, with that, I'm signing off. Peace out. I am Anjou.